Grab your pre-workout and turn up that volume. It is time for a new episode of the Powerlifters Den with your host, Cam Smith. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode four of the Powerlifters Den. Um, today, I brought on an old training partner of mine, um, Luke Frankel. Why don't you introduce yourself, Luke? What's up, guys? Glad to be on the podcast. Um, been a coach for a while now, been a lifter for longer, and uh, excited to be on here. Yeah, so today's episode is going to be mostly focused on coaching powerlifting as well as competing as a coach. Um, so, I mean, I guess to start, uh, we used to train back together at the YMCA. <laughs> um, we've since moved on to much bigger and better places now that we actually take the sport seriously. Um, I guess, tell me about kind of what started you in the journey of actual powerlifting versus just being a gym goer obviously you came from an athletic background like me so it's always interesting to see how someone transitioned yeah man uh that's a really great question it's hard to pinpoint i would say i kind of worked out when i played football and basketball in high school um but i didn't really think about powerlifting or anything like that i remember seeing people lift heavy weights and i always thought that was really cool so uh i think that kind of sparked the interest for me but what really hit it off was when I tore my ACL playing football, I had to go to physical therapy and uh, my physical therapist, I think her name was Katie. She was the Northeastern powerlifting coach or something like that. And I had no idea what powerlifting was at the time. So she kind of introduced me to squats and all that stuff, which I still suck at, by the way. Uh, but she showed me how to do that stuff. And I was obsessed with getting stronger. So that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, uh, I remember looking back at like a, a video I posted of like the first time I hit 275 on bench <laughs> and um, it was you were spotting me and then it was like a year later when we started like working out together. So it's kind of yeah. funny looking back and then um, that was like way before I even considered powerlifting. I think at that time you were still young, too. So, yeah. um, I mean, you were you were there with me for my first meet back in uh, where was that in uh that was, yeah, Lakeville. That was at uh, East Coast Fitness, right? Yeah, it was just a little push-pull. Yep. Um, it was fun, and it was different because now that I'm on, like, a powerlifting crew, it's it's so different, like, not riding <laughs> solo or just, like, with one other person. And, I mean, obviously, at the time, we weren't, like, coaching or we weren't, like, super knowledgeable on it yet. And so now it's interesting to kind of look back and reflect. Um, so, yeah, let's start talking about coaching. So, I know that's something you're very passionate about now. Um, is that something that you've officially done full-time now or? Yeah, man. So uh, kind of. So the goal is to eventually just have my own training business and I can explain the facets of that. But uh, so I officially have my own LLC now. It's called Power Project LLC, where I train a bunch of people online and in person. Um, and the goal is to get everyone stronger, whether that's powerlifting or, or otherwise. Um, I train part-time at Lifetime right now as a personal trainer. But the other half of my time, I would argue more than other half, uh, I spend working on my business, training my athletes and growing my team. And I'm really, really happy about that. That's awesome. Um, how many athletes do you currently have? So if you count just my business, I have about 11 people who are power lifters and about four non-power lifters. There we go. Um, are, are those four non-power lifters somewhat people you're trying to gonna get to do a meet or <laughs> what's that? Yeah, absolutely. I know you're like me. So pretty much everyone I talk to that lifts, I'm like, you're going to compete one day. You know what I mean? I try to convince yep. everyone to compete. Um, and I have not had one person who didn't love it. So uh, I would love to get those four people competing. Yeah. What's kind of like the uh, 
biggest difference in like not necessarily programming but kind of the mental like aspect of training people who are non-powerlifters versus powerlifters that's a great question so uh non-powerlifters i would say they have so many different goals it depends on if they're an athlete if they want to get you know high vertical if they want to become faster whatever versus they want to get a bigger bench they want to get a bigger squat squatting and wraps squatting and equipment whatever um I would say the biggest difference though, is that powerlifting, most of the people that come to me are already at least intermediate. So the level that they understand fitness is far different than the new people I have for personal training or athletics or anything like that. They already have a basis of understanding. So that's a, as you know, it's a whole different level of thinking when you have someone who's already, you know, five years into the sport that wants to take it to the next level. Yeah. And like with, uh, training at Evolve when it first opened, uh, obviously the, you know, the industry is very hard to get clients. People are yeah. very stubborn and yes. um, especially new people trying to set foot in the gym. They're often hesitant or intimidated or um, they're just not sure where to start or they always think that it's too expensive. But mm. I mean, for me, I like to explain one night out in Boston costs more than a month of training. Yep. So I think it's huge to be able to make that connection to then people realize, oh, I just need to take priority in my health priority in my training. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way of putting it. I think people don't think of the cost of not doing it. They just think of the cost of doing it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and, and you go ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair too, like yeah, we're higher level athletes, we have a good understanding, we're certified, everything like that. But even at that level, like people still could benefit from a trainer, a coach, programming because sometimes they're just things you don't know or maybe you're you're great at programming people for yourself but you suck on your own dude absolutely i have a coach i think even coaches said i've coaches i've i've learned so much from my coach i've learned so much from other coaches that have gotten people strong way different from the way that i do like i've learned from people that do conjugate raw conjugate multiply conjugate whatever and i train completely straight weight straight weight raw like it's a whole yeah. different way but it's yeah, cool it's to always, learn yeah it's always interesting to see how different coaches approach powerlifting because there's about a thousand different ways you can do it um i like to do more of like a hybrid of a conjugate kind of my own style of training i kind of like to translate that to my athletes um i think it keeps it exciting um it kind of lets you make progression without necessarily knowing your true max of a certain like whether squat bench or deadlift with straight weight but um what's what's your kind of approach yeah man uh that's a good question i would say I'm very much a fan of training the athlete rather than training the sport. And let me explain what that means. So like some of my athletes might be advanced, some might be intermediate, but you got to learn kind of what level they're at before you can start programming for them. So if, for instance, if someone's more advanced, linear periodization is probably not going to work well on them. So you got to figure out, well, okay, if they have an 800 pound squat, which I don't have anyone there yet, but that's the goal. Um, I have a 600 pound squat, uh, 600 pound squatter. He's pretty close to it. So he's not going to be able to handle volume the same way a 300 pound squatter can. So you've got to kind of undulate or change the amount of weight, the amount of tension, whatever, sometimes on a daily basis rather than a weekly or a monthly basis, like someone else. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I like the using the bands and chains and the different variations of movements, just because like you said, linear periodization, you can only do for so long. And yep. um, a few of my athletes are, have been training for several years. So I got to switch it up on them just like I got to switch it up on myself. But um, it is fun when you get a new client 
and you get to do that linear periodization yeah. because you get to see them make insane progress in just a few months. And yeah. with a couple of my clients that I had over at Evolve, they were basically new to lifting weights. And one of them, by the time they left, they loved doing squats, which obviously it's my favorite lift. Just so gonna it's, say. It's, it's, nice to, <laughs> it's nice to see someone starting to love squats. And she was strong too. Yeah. I had her, she was, she was like 55. And she was, had a bad like leg injury. Um, she retired from being like a truck driver and she was doing Hatfelds with like one Oh five on the safety bar for reps. Wow, and that's really I was good. like, really yeah, I was like, that's impressive. Like you should be proud of yourself. Yeah. And every single week we're just going up and wait. And it's not that she was necessarily gaining strength. She was gaining confidence too, yeah. which I think is huge for a new lifter. Yeah, man. That's, that's an awesome story. And I think that's why we were coaches. We just love helping people see what they're capable of let them see what they're capable of it's really awesome yeah and kind of approaching it into a powerlifting aspect you kind of have to treat it as like a normal sport like you have your off season and then you have your prep but there's less of like a i guess a maintenance period kind of like when you're in season for sports um i know that's a little bit different approach because you want to be able to maintain strength and muscle mass to yep for mostly injury prevention. Um, but like an off season is when you want to build size, you build your strength. And I think that translates well from athletics because personally I've recently started like adapting more volume into my training, especially in the off season, because you want to put on that size and you want to start conditioning yourself for yeah. prep. No, absolutely, man. You want to work on that work capacity. I think that's a severely underutilized part of training, um, especially as you get more advanced. Cause if yeah. you can, if you can handle, I mean, you could squat what six twenty six fifty now, crazy by the way, yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you can handle, you know, a, a five by 10 at four ninety five, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's, that's a great base for training uh, versus like someone who might squat the same amount, but can only handle that for four twenty five. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like I mentioned this last on last week's episode that like, now that I use wraps, obviously I'm squatting a lot higher weight and I've, gain strength with that so it's kind of been a big jump for me so when it came to meet day i was scared of getting to deadlifts because i was so fried from that much weight that i didn't think i'd be able to pull anywhere near my best and i ended up pulling 580 which is five pounds short of my best but that's i mean i had a great day yeah so yeah i think working on that work capacity is a huge aspect to doing the off season Oh my God. Absolutely. Especially when you talk about powerlifting where the meets could be like eight hours. I mean, you know, you could be there all day. You get there for rules clinic in the morning, especially if you're a coach and then you got to be there all day for your clients. It's a long day. And then we could talk about, you know, hydration, electrolytes, making sure you're eating enough, making sure that you're not too cool, not too warm. You don't warm up too early, you know, all this stuff. Uh, It's a lot. It really is. Yeah. I think it's also important like to have your coach at the meet if they can, because especially if they've been to that. I mean, first of all, you shouldn't be a coach if you haven't competed. I yep. think that obviously we know that people will get their certification for CPT and then <laughs> they think they can just coach a powerlifter, no. but it's, it's completely, <laughs> it's completely different. So no. I, if you ever have a coach that's reaching out to you and they've never competed, stay, <laughs> stay away. Yeah. Hit up camera, hit me up, please. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But, um, yeah. So let's talk about like, the approach to being like a handler as a coach on mm-hmm. meet day. Um, I haven't personally done it yet, but I probably will be in the next few months. Um, I haven't even been necessarily a handler yet. I've kind of just handled myself. Yep. So um, 
I, I know you've done a couple, so let's yep. want to talk about that. Yeah, man. So actually, I think I've done five or six now, which is crazy because I remember being super scared the first time. Uh, even though I'd done it myself, it's a whole different ball game when you have someone who's new and, and nervous or anxious, right? Um, so it's crazy because you it starts before meet day. I mean, it really does. It starts with the taper and the prep and the you know talking to the person, especially if it's their first meet. You know, telling them what they're going to be prepared for, like way in day up or day before with RPS or whatever federation they're competing in. Then you got to be like, okay, well, we're not going to do a cut the first meet. Hopefully, some people try to, and I try to convince my athletes not to do that. Um, I so it starts then. Then you come in the day of, you get up early. Usually, people can't sleep well the night before, so you have to deal with that. Um, Some people get so nervous they don't eat. So you got to be there as a coach, be supportive, but also tell them this is what you need to do. sit down for rules clinics, make sure if it's their first meet, they understand. Hopefully you've been practicing the rules as well, whether in person or being very attentive online, whatever. Um, And then just talking to them, calming them down, making sure they're locked in and just being there every step of the way for them. Yeah. I think it's just as important to make sure they're physically prepared as mentally prepared. I mean, you can see when it's someone's first meet, like the nerves, people respond in different ways, but I think having a coach there can really help you. And obviously a coach helps with the programming and everything, but that meet day, having a coach there is just like having a coach during a, a football game or something yeah. like they're important. They're there to calm you down. They're there to, I guess, review the playbook or if you get a red light or something that you yep. didn't know, or maybe the head judge is a little hesitant to tell you. I mean, most head judges are good with telling yeah. you what's wrong, but even if there's something that they didn't see that you saw as a coach, I think it's huge. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things where, you know, as a trainer, as a coach, that sometimes you're more of a therapist and more of a mental coach than you are just a physical coach. So you got to know the person, not just physically, but how they interpret things, how they react to things, uh, what to say. Some people need to hear certain things. Some people need reassurance. Some people need you to tell them to stop being an idiot. You know, um, it depends on the person. So knowing how to handle your athlete is, is more important, arguably, than the prep leading up to it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, um personally the style of coaching i like being <laughs> as a athlete is yeah. getting told like yo you suck like f- do better <laughs> like fix <Yeah>. yourself <laughs> um but some people they'll just shut down so yep. it's, it's very important to know how someone's going to respond to the style of coaching and i think it's kind of important too if you're taking on a new client to let them know your style of coaching before they get there because if you are coaching the wrong style for them they're just going to not perform well yeah that is a absolutely great point and something that i didn't touch on that's so true um i like to be straight up with how i am as a coach to people i i tell them look this is going to be hard it might be one of the hardest things you've ever done but it will get you where you need to be and it will make you happy with the results so you you just have to listen and trust and i will explain why we're doing things because i believe no matter who you are you should know why you're doing something um i like to teach not only why we're doing something but how to do it that's how my style as a coach yeah, no, I, I think I'd, I'd say I'm pretty much in on the same boat with that. And it, it is fun kind of like being able to call myself a coach now. Um, I mean, I've done three full meets and I'll be doing my fourth full meet in September. I mean, I, if you include the push pull, it's been five, but yep. um, now kind of taking it from a different perspective, it's kind of, you kind of learn a few things about yourself going into a meet too. Um, like John over at Evolve, like he was handling like, the whole crew and <laughs> so it was yeah i'm sure that was difficult especially coming off his labrum surgery 
and um, it's a beast. I'm excited to be able to like be a handler at a meet. Um, yeah. A couple of my clients will be doing a meet, I think around October. So I want to go there, be there for them, kind of get that experience under my belt as well. That's awesome, man. I'm excited for you and congrats on the coaching. That's super great, man. That's, that's like the best feeling in the world when yeah. you're doing something you love and like you could share it with other people. I think that's the, the real secret to happiness, honestly. Um, yeah. I've, that's, yeah, it's, it's been a long ride and I honestly have no idea where I'll be in two years, but all I know is that I'm going to keep doing this. For sure. Um, I guess what's like your next biggest goal as a coach? My next biggest goal as a coach would be to have 20 power lifters and then hire my first assistant coach. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, what would be like the role of the assistant coach? It would just be like another partner with you or would they kind of help you offload some of your work with having that many athletes? Yeah. So a little bit of both, I'd say more of the offloading, but it'd have to be someone I really trust in that, you know, I know that they're really solid as a coach. They have experience and they want to work and help these people because that's the most important thing. You got to want to help people, you know, as a coach and as an athlete, you're always learning. You don't always have the correct answer, but you're always trying to have the correct answer. And that's the most important thing and attitude someone can have, I think. Yeah. Um, and then I guess also what, what's your next goal for your next meet? Do you have a meet plan? <laughs> Do you have some big goals for it? What? It want? Oh man, that's scary. Uh, so I haven't competed in like over a year now, just because I've been having a great off season and I'm trying to keep the momentum. Uh, I would say right now, my goal is around October. So like your clients, I would like to pull something like 750. I think that'd be really cool. That would be I, insane. I pulled 710 in the gym, which was great. Um, I'm learning hook grip right now, which is brutal. <laughs> I got to say, it's absolutely brutal. I've always pulled mixed grip, but I, I think for my leverages, hook grip will be better. Um, squat, I would like to squat close to six. Uh, it's always been a mental thing with me and with squats. I don't know what it is, uh, whether it's the ACL tear or just the, the sheer heaviness on your back. <laughs> it's a complete uh, opposite. <laughs> You're scared of squats and love deadlifts. I'm scared of deadlifts and you love squats. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You're a beast at squatting, dude. It's insane. Uh, it's like seriously motivational to see you. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. Goals, straight up. <laughs> um, my bench has been moving great too. So I think something like a, like a 440, 450 bench, which I can't believe I'm saying that would be a good goal. Yeah, um, that's, that's awesome. Because I remember like when we were training, yeah. you were – chasing yeah. that 405 because you you, yes. you hit that 405 once and then yeah came back down and we're chasing yep. that again and now you're just blowing right past it so for so long man for so long um now i think i could honestly hit it for a tempo single pretty easily which is great that's um, awesome it feels great it never gets any lighter though <laughs> yeah no for sure and actually i wanted to talk about your bench a little bit because yeah. i noticed um you kind of do that body shock technique um yes. at the bottom now Yes. Uh, is that something you implemented not too long ago or you mean like the Julius Maddox technique? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, for the people that are listening and may not know, it's like, basically there's two types of leg drive, two major types. Uh, there's like the stable consistent leg drive where you don't really move once the bar touches you, you're just keeping constant tension. And then there's the, the Julius Maddox style leg drive where you basically have like 70% leg drive. And then when you pause off your bottom, you basically push that extra 30%, get some leg drive out of it. Um, and that's what camp's talking about here. So basically I've played around with both. I played around with toes up, fat, flat feet, whatever. I like flat feet and I like that kind of leg drive better because I feel like if I can get more speed out of the bottom of my bench, then it's going to break through the sticking point. And that's really helped me. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, something I kind of, the way I like to explain it is you don't squat on your toes. So why would you use leg drive on your yeah, toes? Um, exactly. 
So I will never coach an athlete to have heels up. I mean, the only thing you can get with the heels up is maybe like a little bit more tightness, a little bit more arch, but I think that it's not worth the trade-off for the amount of power you can get through your heels. And um, like whether you have to widen your feet, I know you go very wide with your feet. I have good mobility for it. So I can like (laughs) kind of go like John hack style, like super tight to the bench. And, but yeah, I think it's huge. And anytime I'll see it on Instagram with their heels up and I'll be like, Hey, can I give you a word of advice? Just try your heels down. And if someone said I tried it before, just say, try it again and just stick with it for a few weeks. Cause once you get used to it, it's, it's like a noticeable difference. Agreed. Yeah. I have a couple athletes that do uh, heels up, but I slowly over time are trying to get them to do flat feet. As you know, habits take a while to break. And especially if they're competing, you don't want to add too many variables before the meet. It's just too much, you know, like yeah. uh, I have an athlete right now. Um, you've probably seen him squat. He's like high bar, close stance. Shout out to Joey. He's competing in July. Uh, he squats like 550. He's going to go for 600. He's really close. Um, but his bench is like the closest grip. I, I don't know how he does it, but um, you've worked with him for a while, I think, too. Yeah, I uh, did one of his preps, actually. And that, <laughs> one of yeah. the things was talking about how close his bench was. Yeah, exactly. He's a monster squatter too. So dude, he is, he's a beast. Um, I, if we got him in wraps, he'd be squatting like 700 straight up, like seriously. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so one thing we did this prep was we implemented some wider grip bench. And so as an accessory and when he did it, he felt so much more stable. So even though he's weaker in the short term, I think in the long term with that wider grip, he will be stronger because it's more consistent. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah. being able to bench wide is very important in the sport. Uh, obviously like some people's leverages just don't call for it. Like for me, yeah. Personally, I'm more of a neutral grip and I tried to widen it out for a little while and my shoulders just can't handle it. And yeah. I think I get way more power staying I like nice and compact. That's why I like yeah. I have like the close stance and everything like that. And um, another thing too that I started using as a cue um, for leg drive is instead of thinking about squatting off the bench, um, turning it more into like a leg extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Um, maybe you've seen the Alan Thrall video from back in the day where yeah. he has the drill where you slide back. It's kind of yep. think about it like that. And I think it's a really good cue to get people to do leg drive. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I think for people, especially like you that have super, super strong quads, uh, I have a couple athletes like that. I think that's a great cue. It's almost like, uh, like the, like you're in an office chair and you're trying to push back. That's what yeah. I tell people. My, like you said before, my leg drive is super wide. Um, and I think that's because one, I have really mobile hips and two, my glutes are just really, really strong. So that helps me get more tightness and get more torque at my hips so I can create a better arch. Um, I think that's really one of the biggest things that's helped my bench is I'm benching on wider benches so I can set up better and my yep. feet are much wider so I can create a better arch and move more stable. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's always nice to kind of finally figure out what works best for you. And I'm starting to get to that point with some of it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but like my, my squat in the wraps now is yep. so narrow yeah, I'm basically it is. doing like a close stance <laughs> squat, and it, yeah. it, I, I, so I made that adjustment like three weeks before the meet, because I was doing a heavy single. I like fried out. I fried my CNS, yep. and I came back the next week feeling good, and I'm like, let's try something. Mm-hmm. So I moved in the squat, and then when I hit my opener, I absolutely dusted 570, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're staying with this close stance now. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't recommend experimenting with your forms like that close to a meet but sometimes if you just have a feeling you just yeah. it's always good to just try it out it makes sense for you too because you get such strong quads you've got that athletic background it's more of a power position anyway so it makes sense yeah 
it is nice to be able to figure some things out like that. And it's nice to be able to figure that out in your athletes too, yeah. especially like from their background or even their build. Like sometimes they're just, they'll see a certain form of someone, other powerlifters doing it. And they're like, all right, let's try it this way. But it just doesn't work for them. No, it's really hard to emulate someone's form because one, they might look similar to you on the outside, you know, regarding femur length, arm length, whatever, but you don't know what's going on in their internal mechanisms. I mean, someone's hip structure could be way different than yours. You could have, uh, you know, one hip that's way more mobile on one side versus another. And that's just all genetic. You can't change that. Mm-hmm. So it depends. You got to play around with stuff. Yeah. Um, we got about like five more minutes, but let's do a little bit. Let's talk about a little bit of nutrition as a coach. Cool. Cool. Um, I'm not sure what you necessarily do for your athletes in terms of nutrition. I know personally, I, I just do caloric intake. Um, I'm not a certified nutrition coach yet. Um, I thought about it. Um, but we'll see, but I want to hear your approach. Yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Same thing. So I'm not certified nutrition, but I can give basic guidelines. Um, especially if someone asks about it, I can give them suggestions. So I generally can suggest caloric intake. Um, like for instance, a shout out to Celia, one of my new powerlifters. She uh, was not eating enough by far, like not even close. And I find that is very common. A lot of women, uh, especially that are powerlifters, they don't eat nearly enough. They really don't. Um, it's, it's crazy to me because I can't imagine functioning on the amount to eat, never mind lifting. Um, (laughs) so she was under eating by, I would say around a thousand calories. So I told her, you know, just try eating a little bit more. Maybe it doesn't have to be the cleanest, you know, I'm not saying eat a Ben and Jerry's every night, even though that'd be great. I'm saying maybe have a little extra rice or, uh, you know, some oatmeal in the morning, a little bit extra something, maybe add some peanut butter, do a shake, whatever. Um, I will say though, for me, one of the weirdest things that I find is strange about myself compared to the industry is I don't suggest as much protein as people do. Um, the commonality for people is to suggest like one gram per pound of body weight. I don't think most people need that much. The science definitely suggests that that is like the upper end of like what's efficient for most people. But I'd say for me specifically, I found that I actually eat less than that. And I eat more carbs as a result of that extra calorie intake. And it's worked way better for me. Yeah. I mean, the carbs is great for the energy and in terms of like a gym session, like as a power lift, you're there for like three hours. So you yeah. need the carbs to get through it. Exactly. Um, I, I honestly, I can't confirm or deny this, but I think I do remember seeing that it's not a pound or it's not a gram of protein per pound of body weight. It's a gram of protein per kilogram of body weight. Uh, so I think a lot of people are overdosing their protein. Obviously the, the ceiling of protein, like if you can get 250 grams of protein a day, like you're in good shape to get strong, but yeah, that's wild, <laughs> but it makes it, that's, that's a thousand calories of your day right there. Yeah. And that's, that's very difficult to me. I feel bad for the toilet, man. Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's number one. Number two yeah. is like, I've heard so many things. Like I've heard the kilogram one. I've heard one gram per, per pound of lean body weight, whatever that means. I assume that just means water and muscle. I don't even know bone. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard the pound per, you know, gram, or gram per pound of body weight, but in reality, you got to think of the statistics here. If you have a 250 pound man, that's 30% body fat. He does not need 250 grams of protein Yeah. versus, versus someone who's absolutely shredded at 250. would probably need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And also another thing I like to do with my athletes, and obviously this is huge and it's very overlooked is hydration. Yeah. Um, I'll, anyone can benefit from a gallon a day. I mean, yep. personally, when I'm good with my water, I'm getting close to two gallons a day and there's, you get a noticeable difference in performance. Like Dude, it's absolutely. crazy how much people just lack water intake. And yep. if with having like a ceiling on what I can provide for people, I think making sure they're hydrated is probably my number one goal. Dude, I'm right there with you. That's funny. I've, uh, 
I've gone through so many electrolyte packets, different types of brands and stuff like that. Yep. And I suggest them because so many people do not have enough salt and I will live and die by salt. I swear by it. Most people yep. do not get it enough. I'm like, Mite, oh, you're nervous. You're having cramps or you don't feel right. You're probably dehydrated. And it's not because of the gallon of water you're drinking. It's because you yep. haven't had any electrolytes today. True. And I mean, like I was a liquid IV athlete yep. uh, in football. So being able to have like liquid IV just on deck was huge. And that's awesome. Whether it's liquid IV or element or Pedialyte, yep. like you got to get it in just obviously not nearly at the amount of you need water, but like yep. you need to mix in electrolytes. You need to hold that water and you need to get those muscles firing and it helps with your brain function too. Yeah. That, that brain fog during the meet, it's, it helps. Absolutely. Dude, a hundred percent. You know, like we, we focus so much on muscle and you think about what, what's muscle made out of. It's mostly water. It's water yeah. and glycogen, right? So if you're not eating carbs and you're not drinking water and having electrolytes, what are you doing? You're missing out. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all we got for this episode. Um, you want to just tell the listeners uh, where they can find you on Instagram as well as I believe you have an Instagram for your company. Yeah, man. So it's pretty much right now it's one, uh, but it's at coach Luke power on Instagram. Uh, you can find my links on there. I'm really, really excited about it so far. Uh, we're growing fast and I can't wait to see what we do in the next five years. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Um, hopefully you can get a training session in some time. It's been a while. Yeah, um, man. Everyone, just once again, you can find me on Instagram at lift.smith. And this concludes episode four of the Powerlifters Den. Thank you.